Welcome to the International Career Couples Podcast. This is your host, Kate Galloway. As an expat, now a repat, and a coach, I hope this podcast helps expat couples who want to align and grow both their careers. Drawing from the experience of international career couples and experts, we aim to explore how expat couples can work as a team to understand and balance their personal and professional goals while living on the move. In this episode, we're talking to Abigail Philyun. Abigail's a partner at EMY with over 25 years experience in financial services. She primarily focuses on regulation and risk management. She's currently based in London, having had two back-to-back mobility assignments through to mid-2022. Firstly, they spent time in Johannesburg setting up and running the African Financial Services Risk Management Practice. And then that was followed by a further three years in the Sydney practice, focused on regulatory compliance, conduct and culture and sustainable finance. And there's lots of learnings, as, as we always have in this episode. What was really interesting to me was that Abigail and her husband arrived in Sydney just as the pandemic hit. So they really had a lockdown assignment. Abigail shares how the work that they did before they even became expats, so before they went to Johannesburg, really helped them cope with the various things that happened during the course of their um, assignments abroad. Having those early conversations, talking about finances, talking about feelings, talking about how they would spend their time if one of them wasn't working, um, talking about career advancement and how important that was. The skills that come through is about how important it is to be pragmatic, to be a cohesive unit and, and face challenges together, to be realistic in your expectations and to have an adventure together. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Abigail, to the International Career Couples podcast. And thank you so much for taking time to speak to me this afternoon. It's great to be with you today, Kate. Uh, Thank you. Um, We usually start an episode by just asking somebody to sort of bring us to where they're at in their expat story so far. And I know that you've got a wonderful, um, some wonderful expat experiences. I just wonder if you could bring us to where you're at today. Yeah, so I mean, where I am today is um, I got back to the UK about six months ago um, after um, six years out on a couple of global mobility assignments. Um, Right now, it's mid-January on a bitterly cold winter's day, (laughs) which has been a bit of a harsh reality after six years of Southern Hemisphere summers and winters. Um, But I think apart from the weather envy, I've settled back into into the UK well. Um, I have no no regrets about um, our our decision to come home. Um, It is home and it feels Mm -hmm. like we've come home. I'd say it definitely helps that, um, uh, you know, I've been super busy at work. We've been super busy with, you know, house moves and uh, catching up with lots of people. Um, And I think as well, um, before I left on my my last assignment to come back, um, my my firm was very good. They, They did a lot of briefings on reverse culture shock and I did a lot of reading on it to prepare myself so I think I think I was realistic about some of the things I might feel mm-hmm. um, 
And, and it was interesting, over the Christmas break, I was framing some photo collages of our time in, in Africa and Australia. So I went through a lot of our photos from all of our adventures. And it was really great just to remind myself of all the amazing things that we got to do while we were there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really comfortable. I did worry a bit about reintegrating into work after such a long absence from the UK. And because I work in consulting, um, it, it's really important to have an established network internally um, and externally. Um, and I worried about building that up again, but I've actually, I've been flat out on a really big project since I came back and that's definitely helping me um, ease my way back in. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband's not working again yet and, you know, we'll, sure, we'll go into more detail mm-hmm. on his situation as we talk through, but he's been pretty much fully occupied. He's renovating our family home because we were renting it out while we were away. Um, and he's also been refurbishing a second property that we bought, which is now my base when I um, uh, work in London. So, yeah, I think I think we're we're in a really good space. Yeah, lovely. It's occupied in different ways. Yes. Um, than than um, working at the moment, and I'm really interested to get into all of that. But I'm not sure that reverse culture shock is something we've really touched on the podcast in previous episodes. And I'm wondering if you would mind just talking a little bit about that. You said that your company or your firm had sort of given you some briefings yeah. on that and that yeah. a few things that's helped, it sounds like the things that have helped you hit the ground running when you've come back is actually being busy at work, mm. being able to get that network going, but also you were prepared for yeah. some of the things that you might be hit with culturally. Yeah. Could you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think when you go out on on you know mobility assignments or whatever people call them, but if you you leave to be an expat, there's a lot of work that's done with with people on you know how you deal with culture shock of assimilating into a into a new culture into a new community, um, and and I think less around what happens when you go home, um, mm-hmm. but you know the realization of a few things is, you know, one is the world has moved on. Um, and um, and just some of the, um, you know, preparing yourself for some of the feelings that you have when you come back around, you know, there's almost like that honeymoon period, you haven't seen people for a long time, everything's exciting mm-hmm. and new, and you're catching up with lots of people. And then the expectation that following that you're probably going to go into a bit of a, a lull and having sort of coping mechanisms to get you through that. And and, and as I said, um, just being busy for me, I think has been the most important thing because, you know, I've not, not necessarily had the luxury of spending lots of time um, thinking about, you know, how do I, how do I feel? But I, I just think knowing that you're likely to go through this sort of cycle of feelings and knowing that's normal and knowing mm-hmm. you will get through it, um, I think is is helpful in itself that these are all very normal and natural feelings. Um, and so recognising them when they happen and just having some coping mechanisms. Yeah, that are there. Um, and it, it's really nice that your firm does that. Yeah. But I suppose if you don't have a firm doing that for you, then there are books out there. You there's, can educate yourself on yeah, that. There's some great books, but actually what I found interesting when I read a couple of them was um, they were probably written at a time when social media was not quite where it is today. And actually mm-hmm. a lot of the things that they that they talk about, you know, the idea that you can share your life so readily with the people that you love, no matter where you are on a daily basis, really helps as well. So 
that kind of you've been away and you've come back and you've changed and people have changed the country's changed I think people are just much more tuned into that because they were just so connected yeah um so I I definitely think that makes life easier Mm -hmm. and maybe if, if we're sort of speaking about the you said that you've got no regrets on the choice to come back and to come home and it feels like home maybe we can do this in reverse order in terms of where you've been but you you came from Australia and when we were speaking off um, recording you were sort of talking about the decision to go to Australia and what that meant for you and for your husband um, and your careers yeah but um, perhaps you could talk us through a little bit about what happened there Uh, absolutely and I think it was you know preceded Australia I think the bigger decision came when um, uh, when we went on the first uh, assignment Australia was was the second one that came off the back of it and I and I think just to give some context um, to to my answer because our, our personal circumstances are quite you know quite I, I guess everyone's personal circumstances are, are unique but maybe mm. different to um, to some of your listeners um, so um, just just kind of going back a bit, my husband and I have always both worked full time. Um, but when when our son was still a, a baby, and I can't believe that he's turning 30 this year. Mm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, we just realized that for us, having two demanding careers wasn't wasn't going to work. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and that became evident quite early on. I found myself being away from home quite a lot with my job. Um, often throughout the week and my husband was picking up a lot of the primary caregiving Um, and and we back then had a conversation around prioritizing my career for a number of reasons Um, and 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 that was important um, for us because you know we're talking now about mobility assignments where I've you know we've had an opportunity to go and work outside of the UK but also Mm -hmm. prior to that I'd moved across the UK twice um, which meant that my husband twice had to change jobs um, uh, when when I had opportunities to move with my role. And look, he's always been he's always been fortunate that he's very quickly been able to find a, a new role that he enjoys and gave him the flexibility he needed with our son. And mm-hmm. then when our son got older, he was able to take on more commitments and and expand his role. Um, but I think the kind of crunch came for us was when I was asked to go to South Africa mm-hmm. so that was back in 2016 um, and and just again for some context we both um, we both grew up in South Africa um, but we'd moved to the UK more than 20 years previously um, I was born in the UK my family were all here mm. um, but when we left he he left his family behind effectively in in South Africa but but we agreed we didn't want to bring our son up there. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful country, amazing people, but it has a lot of issues. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so, and, and my husband had really, when he made that commitment to come here, he really threw himself into um, assimilating into the UK, really lock, stock and barrel. So, you know, just, just by way of example, um, he supports the English rugby team rather than the Springboks, yeah. which is just sad. I remember you saying that. I was amazed. And, yeah. and absolutely, you might argue, you know, less successful. <laughs> than, yeah. yeah. He gets a lot of stick for that. But, but you know, he, he, he wanted to make this in his home and he threw himself into that. So when I was offered that, that opportunity to go to South Africa, and it was a fantastic career opportunity for me, it was to go and set up. 
a new part of our, our business. You know, for lots of reasons, he wasn't that keen to go back and live there. Um, you know, for, for a lot of the personal reasons and the reasons we've decided to leave. And then I think added to that as well, we got a lot of dire warnings um, that he wouldn't get a job there. Um, so given the uh, broad-based Black economic empowerment government, uh, government policy, which is, you know, quite right that they have that policy, um, but it's to advance the economic transformation and participation of black South African citizens in the economy. And, and my husband wasn't a South African citizen anymore, and, and he's white. Um, and so, you know, in in our considerations, we had to consider that he might never get a job there. Yeah. Um, and so that made it really important for us to have a lot of conversations before we left um, about about our finances, um, you know, was that okay if I was going to be the only person working? Um, how he was going to feel about it, about not working, um, how he was going to spend his time um, and, and his future job prospects if he didn't work for three years, what would that mm -hmm. mean when we came back to the UK? Um, as it turned out, um, he landed a contract actually really quickly um, which lasted probably until a few months before we were due to leave. So we, we never dealt with that issue. And actually, it, it, it worked out really well for us. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think the plot twist then was then when we went to Australia. Okay. Can I come before we move to Australia? Um, I've heard you say a couple of times now about how you had what I might call early conversations. Mm. So even when you were doing the UK um, transitions, yeah. that you were speaking about that, you'd made the decision that you were kind of following your career and what needed to happen there. That when you were talking about going to South Africa, you were talking about finances, you were talking about feelings, how time would be spent, what would that mean for his career if he didn't get a job? Yeah. What? How do you think having all those conversations benefited you? even though the outcome was that actually he worked? Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that we were better prepared for what came later. Okay. <laughs> the fact that we'd had those discussions. Um, and also, I mean, you know, you were, you were kind of saying about, um, you know, we'd made, it was, he'd agreed to support me, it was important for my career, but we didn't make a quick decision. We probably had about four months from the time I first started talking, you know, my firm first spoke to me until mm. the final decision on both sides were made. And and really at any point I could have stepped back from that and said, no, we're not, we're not. That, uh, my firm almost said to me, we will keep going until you tell us to stop. And if yeah. you're not comfortable, there was a point of no return um, where we, we had committed and, and we knew when that, that arrived. Um, but we, we continued to have those conversations leading up all the way up to um, uh, making that final decision. Yeah. Okay. So, and then you said that it helped you for what came yes. next <laughs> <laughs> with a wry smile. So do you want to talk us through what happened next? Yeah. So, um, so our time in South Africa was coming to an end in 2019 um, and then I was the, the firm asked me if, uh, to go to Australia for another three years. Um, and that was actually a really easy decision for us to make. Um, we, we kind of, our son simultaneously was himself moving to Canada for a few years to do mm -hmm. his thing. Um, and we felt like we were in a position in our lives where we didn't need to rush back. 
Um, and it just felt like a, another great opportunity um, for us. So um, my husband went back to the UK for a while just to sort our, our house out. Um, and then he, I went on to, um, to Sydney. I was there for a few months by myself. He joined me in early 2020. Um, and we spent some time sorting out our living arrangements. We traveled a bit. Um, and I can distinctly remember him saying to me one Friday, um, I'm going to get my CV sorted out over the weekend and I'll get out to some recruitment agencies next week. Yeah. And the following week, the pandemic struck and we went into lockdown. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone will remember what happened with people losing jobs, the economy, just the uncertainty, the, you know, there was no recruitment, um, there was no, nothing open. Um, mm -hmm. So it was just, it was impossible for him to find work. Um, and, and being a, neither an Australian citizen nor a permanent resident, I mean, he was just the bottom of the queue, even if there were opportunities becoming available. Yeah. Um, and for months on end, you know, we couldn't even go within five kilometres of our home. There was no socialising. We couldn't go out. There was no travelling. We had no support network. We'd, we'd made no friends. We, we, we knew no one there. It was literally just the two of us. Um, and then simultaneously I became very very busy at work you know we pivoted from you know being in the office and typical working into doing everything over teams and I was you know I felt sometimes like I was chained to my laptop for 12 hours a day mm -hmm. continually um, and that was really um, you can imagine how challenging it was I mean the whole situation yeah. was challenging for no it's saying it's like you're um it's the thing that everybody says, you know, this would just be a nightmare if yeah. I don't meet anybody, if, you know, one of us can't work and, you know, we really wanted to, you can't travel, you can't return home, all, you know, all those things are the yeah. things that you say, yeah, I don't mind going if I've got this choice, Yeah, but the choices were taken away. Uh, no, uh, absolutely. And, um, and, and look, we, you know, it was, it was, it was tough on us, you know, we lost, we lost close family members while we were stuck in Australia and and there were times when we felt incredibly isolated but you know there was a there was a degree that because we had spoken you know even if it was a number of years before about what would happen if he didn't find work and how he would keep himself busy and 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 even that became hypothetical because some of the things he'd said he would do would just that they just weren't things that were available for yeah. us um, to to do, I mean, you you know, you couldn't go and get a new ho hobby or join a social club or do charity work or anything like that. There was just nothing like that. So, I think you know, just recognizing that situation is out of your control. He was just incredibly pragmatic about it, to be honest. And mm -hmm. he took on, he effectively took on all of our domestic arrangements. So, um, you know, we we'd had a cleaner. There was. You, know, you couldn't get a cleaner, you know, so he yeah. cleaned, he started doing all the cooking, you know, we'd always um, had our groceries delivered, that wasn't an option, so, he, you know, he would go and do, it was probably the highlight of his week to go shopping, it was the only time he was allowed out, <laughs> uh, so he was doing, he was doing the shopping, and I think we, we literally just did what we needed to get through, um, and I think that's probably the same for everyone um, at that time, um, and, and look, I know, that situation is is unique and and hopefully you know no one who's contemplating an expat life 
um, would ever experience another pandemic or anything as extreme as that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think you need to be mentally prepared for challenges that you may never have envisaged when you do something like this. Yes. And I know that we spoke about that before. So and what do you think about it? It was about the two of you together that made it work. Um, so so I think that um, I think you need to be a unit. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and, and I certainly knew I knew other expats, you know, in similar situations, be it a couple or be it a family where, you know, they became a, you know, an incredibly close unit. Um, and I think, albeit it was the circumstances of the pandemic that drove that, um, I think for anyone sort of, you know, taking on a, an, an international assignment or moving, I think that ability to be a cohesive unit is very important because mm-hmm. e- even even in all the normal circumstances in the early months or if you move from country to country um, and and you're not, you know, you're not fully assimilated yet. You know, how do you, I remember talking to a friend recently who who travels a lot and, and you know, lives in, in different places. And he said, it's those, those lonely Sunday afternoons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whereas at home you would be with extended family or established friends and you don't have that, how do you fill those lonely Sunday afternoons? Yeah. Yeah. How do you become that that unit of, you know, people who that's your only company, you know, how do you stay cohesive? Um, and, you know, I guess that, that, that period where so many people became that unit was a telling time for lots of people mm-hmm. um, around whether whether you made that work or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what other, um, there's been the cohesive unit. What other things, I suppose, if you think about challenges overcome and skills that you have as an expat, what other tips would you give for people that are contemplating doing yeah. this? So, so I think, I mean, I, I, one of them I, I sort of touched on already about the amount of time that we had to make our decision. So I think don't rush into it. Yeah. Um, like I can be quite impulsive when something takes my fancy. And I was like, you know, when I was first asked, I was like, yeah, definitely. Um, but we really, we really needed to take the time to talk and, and make decisions. And I think that that kind of that communication piece is like is critically important. Um, I think setting realistic expectations and also, you know, thinking about worst case scenario so you know i don't think anyone would have predicted a global pandemic um but we had thought about what we'd do if he couldn't find a job we had we had thought about circumstances that sort of you know ended up being a little bit like the situation that we found ourselves in um i also think you know compromise is incredibly important as i said you know my husband didn't want to go back to South Africa initially, and he agreed because it was a really important career opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when each of the assignments, both in South Africa and Australia, were coming to an end, you know, in both cases, I was asked, would I stay on permanently? And, that, you know, I was very tempted. I was enjoying the job. I was enjoying living in, in, in those countries. But he was very clear that he wanted to be back in the UK. Um and, and I respected that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and look, we did, you know, we did discuss the pros and cons. Um, 
but I, you know, I never put any pressure on him to agree to stay. He, I, I felt he'd made a compromise and a sacrifice for me, and we agreed the time limits up front, and and I needed to, I needed to respect that and do the same. So that was a, you know, I might have made a different decision, but the compromise was that's what we'd agreed on. Yeah, yeah, and so and that sort of pre-agreement helps. I was speaking to some clients um, over the past couple of weeks. And part of the decision making was a sort of concern about what might happen or how the other person might feel in the future. Yeah. Um, and it was just sort of protecting each other, but also protecting selves of not being accused of you made me do this. Yeah. Or I had to compromise by doing that. Um, and I think that acceptance um, and that agreement early on helps with that. Um, and to be really, really honest and get it out there of, well, maybe I might feel like this. So what do we need to do? What you were saying about, you know, talking about how to spend your time. What would happen if you got somewhere and they couldn't get a job? Yeah. What do we do then? Which the pandemic kind of forced that. But there's a lot of the countries where you might go where actually it's difficult. Where you're talking about South Africa looked on paper like it wouldn't have been possible for your husband to work, but he was able to. So to have those early conversations seems so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then and then I think, you know, probably a, a last point is to, you know, ha- have a have an adventure together, yeah. um, you know, take every single opportunity to see as much of the country and the region as you can. Um, and I think for us, traveling and exploring the world is is really important. Um, and if I reflect back on my experience I would always say, you know, no matter what happened, it was a fantastic experience, both from a personal and professional perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I think it needs to be about more than just your career. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's interesting, again, because when I, you know, we talked about reverse um, culture shock earlier and, and some of the um, reflections on studies saying, actually, um, quite a few expats take a step backwards in their careers when they return. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... If the only th- if your only objective is, you know, career progression or professional fulfillment, you know, and frankly, you don't squeeze out every drop of that experience, you're probably going to regret it in future. Yeah, yeah, especially if the assignment itself has been difficult, or mm-hmm. you know, we know that some assignments aren't successful because the culture shock mm-hmm. going to the assignment can be um, overwhelming for people. Yeah. Um, or they don't assimilate as quickly as they might do. So, yeah, there's some such interesting things in there. I've written down to be pragmatic, case of unit, don't rusk, be realistic, communicate, think about your worst case scenarios, compromise and think about your pros and cons and your give and take. Um, there's just so much in the 25 minutes that we've spoken with each other. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there anything else that you feel that you want to add before we close out? the the um, podcast uh, only only if I ever mention relocating to another country again shoot me ah, <laughs> see that's the thing that I always think really fun, and I wonder if once you've repatriated if that's kind of the head the mindset that you get into because yeah. the idea for me of packing up the house again and going I'm like it's, that's the thing it'd it's have to be experience it's not the it's it's not it's packing up my house again we've yeah. done it we've moved I think we worked out seven times in six years because both in South Africa and Australia we stayed some we found somewhere and then we moved yeah. and then between 
South Africa and Australia, we had to move everything back to the UK first and then ship it back to, then, to oh Australia. My goodness. So yeah. this has just been endless. And if I never see another packing box in my yes. life again, <laughs> then yeah, it would be no, no, um, I, I'm being a little bit flippant. It's been wonderful, but um, uh, and I have zero regrets. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you, so, thank you so much. And th this is the it, the thing that I find really interesting as well. If a company doesn't get that relocation bit right, mm. the whole thing could be tarnished. Um, you know, just the the basics, like just what what do you need? You need that yeah. moving piece to happen yeah. seamlessly to at least let the assignment start um, to work Definitely. well. But yeah, no, in my head, I've kind of said, oh, I know if I'm moving a flat, maybe if I'm moving a house, no. Yeah. Um, so maybe when the kids are older. Mm. <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you so much for um, sharing your story and spending time with me this afternoon. I've absolutely loved speaking to you. Absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it, um, sharing it and I hope people find it useful. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure they will. If you've enjoyed the episode, please head over to my website, www.kategallowaycoaching.com. One of the topics that came up in today's episode was about compromise and being realistic and that's something that I work with clients on but you know although it's it's better if we can work from a place of collaboration actually sometimes we do need to compromise and what do we need to be realistic about um, so I'm going to share a blog around some of the questions that I share with clients around what are they willing to compromise on that'll be coming up later in the month so head over to www www.kategallowaycoaching.com you can follow me on instagram under kate galloway coaching and also find me on linkedin i would love to hear from you